Good morning, everybody. Wow. How many believe God showed up this morning? Amen. Wow. Just give me a second to catch my breath. Wow. What, a, what an incredible opportunity to be in the presence of the Lord here and to be yes. at celebration. Uh, how many believe that God is up to something very different and very powerful right now? And, and how many of you want to be right in the middle of what God's doing? Like not off to the side, right, like right in the middle. And uh, it's a great joy and a privilege to be here and to have a few minutes with you today. And to just have a, an opportunity to get a little better acquainted. And it was great. We had a great time last night with Frankie and Allie. And I am delighted to have my lovely wife with me. Kath, stand and smile at everybody. Would you do that? She and I have been traveling the world for a long, long time together, and there's no place in the world that we'd rather be than celebration here in the woodlands. How about you? Amen. <laughs> you, you know, when I was <clears throat> preparing for uh, my remarks today, I always seek God as to the direction and sense of what he wants me to talk about. I think we can sermonize, you know, I've got a computer full of messages and a box full back in my office, couple boxes actually. And um, I, I don't think it's good just to go and sermonize. How many believe it's good to have a word that's on time and on target? Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I don't suggest to you that I always do that, but that's my goal today. So if it's okay, first of all, I've watched the videos. We've been in service together. I know you've got the greatest communicator in the entire world right here. Amen. I mean, seriously, seriously. So you'll give me a little slack, I hope, uh, today, not to have to live up to that high and lofty expectation. Uh, but I do have a word that I think is from the Lord for you. And so if you're ready, let's buckle up and get ready to go, okay? I want to share a message uh, that I have entitled, and I think it was so apropos for where the church is right now, a message that I've entitled, A Miracle in the Margin. A Miracle in the Margin. And hopefully over the next couple of minutes, you'll get a sense of what I think the Lord wants to communicate uh, to you all in this church. And I believe that it's a bit of context. You know, when God does something new and perhaps different for some of us, sometimes it's different for us because of where we are in the time and season we're in, but it's not so different from what God has always done. And so I know that this is something God is doing in this season. I hesitate to call it a revival that you're experiencing, but it is something fresh. Can I get a fresh amen? Amen. amen. It's something fresh. And so uh, let's, let's, uh, let's think about this for a few moments, a miracle in the margin. Uh, have you ever had moments, perhaps you have, I have, where you were going through something and you thought, God, where are you at in all of that? Or maybe you're going through something right now where you're thinking, God, I'm looking for you. And we identify with that passage of scripture where Paul says we are feeling for you in the dark. It's like we're groping around. Anybody ever tried to feel God because you just think, God, where are you at? I think we've all related to that. Well, I want to talk with you about the margins that we create and how God has always been a God of the margins. 
a God of the margin. And I want to share a couple of verses with you of Scripture. If you'll look in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it's going to be on the screens, or you can look in your Bible. If you, uh, if you have your device, you'll need a digital device because you might not could read it in your Bible if it was in your lap. But let's, uh, let's look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I, Jesus speaking, behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus speaking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And then another passage, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Another verse, just to put this in context. Chronicle 16, 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of God run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is loyal to him. So let's just sandwich these two verses together. In these two passages, we see a picture of a God who is calling, a picture of a God who is looking, and a picture of a God who is waiting for us to make room for him. Imagine the irony and the humility of divinity as he describes himself as patiently waiting for you to open the door. Someone's knocking at the door. Somebody's ringing the bell. Somebody's knocking at the door. Somebody's ringing the bell. Do me a favor. (laughs) And let him in. Imagine that. A lot of times it's like we're waiting on a move of God when the truth is God's waiting on a move of us. We're waiting for God to do something when God's waiting for you to do something. It's not that complicated. The CEO of the universe, the creator of everything that is, humbles himself to a point that he says, I'm waiting on you to open the door and make some room in your life for me margin, just to create some space, just to create an opportunity, just to create a moment, just to create a little wedge in your busy, hectic life, in the busy, hectic thing. But we're busy, right? Stuff happens. Anybody busy in the room? How many in this room absolutely are not busy? You have absolutely nothing to do at all. None of us would admit it, right? Because in our culture, you have to be busy. So we are, right? I mean, uh, there's a meeting at work or the kids have a ball game or, or wait a minute, I, I need to really, if it's urgent, I need to catch up on Facebook. Things happening in our life. And if you're not careful, your spiritual life can get cluttered with the cares of life, baggage from the past, old hurts and offenses, things that you've achieved, goals that you're aspiring to, dreams for the future, all good stuff, but they begin to fill up God's space in your life. They begin to take up the room that God wants to occupy in your life. And so consequently, Jesus would say to us, I know I'm running the universe, but I'm going to pause from the busyness of running the universe to come to your house and knock on your door. And I'm standing outside your door and I'm calling to you and I'm knocking on your door 
And if you will just open the door, you won't have to ask me twice. You won't have to beg me. You won't have to fast and pray 40 days and nights. You won't have to do an all-night prayer meeting. All I'm waiting is for you to give me a chance in your life. And if you'll give me a chance in your life, I'll, do, I'll fill your life with wonderful stuff. <laughs> How many glad God's good like that? And I know that stuff, it's easy to preach that kind of thing, but there's also a biblical precedent. As a matter of fact, if we look at the biblical narratives and the stories, we see that God's always had this posture and this attitude. He always has. God's always wanted a special place in your life. From the very creation, from the dawn of creation, from the very beginning, he's always wanted a place for your life. I learned this a few years ago. Let me just tell you a quick story. So a number of years ago, maybe, maybe 15 years ago or so, I had a friend and still have a friend in Alexandria, Louisiana. He's a vascular surgeon there. He pastors a great church as well. And uh, his name's, uh, he's my really good friend. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You wouldn't know him anyway. <laughs> he said, hey, we're having this incredible re revival. We're having, they called it the Louisiana Outpouring. Some of you actually may have visited that conference. And he said, we're having all, all the, or not all, but many of the great leaders of the revivals from South America are coming. Uh, guys like uh, Claudio Fredzone and Carlos Anacondia. And he said, I said, I want you to meet them. I want you to have a little time together. And so uh, they're going to pray for you. And I thought, man, I, how many want all God has for you, Right. And so I said, I'm on my way. And so I went to the conference, and it was an incredible moment with God. The, the, the Spirit of God was moving, and they prayed for me. And I'm man, I hit the floor. Tears are streaming. And I'm saying, God, fill me up. Fill me up. God, I want everything. Have you ever had a moment with God where God corrects you right in the middle of an experience? It's like you're just tears are flowing. You're pleading for more of God, more of God, more of God. And, and right in the middle of your pleading, God's, this is what the Lord said to me. Honestly, I'm saying, God, fill me up, fill me up. And I'm laying on the floor. They're all gathered around, tears are streaming. The Lord spoke to me and said, Philip, all these years you've been walking with me, all you've been asking for is more to fill you up. Here's what the Lord said. God said, you're full of it. Now, I don't even know what the it was that he was talking about me being full of, to be quite honest with you. And I don't even know God would use that vernacular. But instantly, my tears of pleading went from like that to like, what did I do, God? I thought this is what I'm supposed to do. And the Lord gave me one of the greatest revelations in my life. He said, you don't understand how the kingdom works. He said, let's make a deal, you and I, from this day forward. I'm laying on the floor, the Lord's speaking to me. Let's make a deal from this day forward. I said, okay, God. He said, you make it your job to stay empty, and I'll make it my job to fill you up, and you'll never have to ask again. Make it your job to stay empty, and I'll make it my job to keep you full, and you'll never have to ask again. 
And then I went home and began to read about it in the scripture, and I realized that he is the fullness of him who fills all in all. That, he's the fill, that he fills empty spaces. It's part of the nature, part of the character of God is to fill vacuums. It's like when you break a vacuum that's sealed, you hear the air rushing in. You don't have to plead with oxygen to fill the space. All you have to do is break the seal and open it up, and the air, because it's the nature of air, fills that space, and it floods into that space that you create. That's how it is with God. When you open your heart just for a moment, when you break it, break the seal on your life just for a moment, you don't have to beg God to fill you up because he's been waiting. And he'll fill the spaces that you create. Imagine God said, you need to make some margin in your life. And if you'll make some margin in your life, what is margin? Margin is simply a part of the whole. It's just a part of something. Margin's that extra room. It's that segment that's set apart. It's margin can be anything that makes room. It's an idea. It's a percentage and an element of time, a measure of space. In business, margin is the piece of the deal. It's part of the profit. That's what the margin is. And God thrives in the margins. When we create room in our life, then he fills that room with his glory. And everything that he is and has comes into that space. Holidays, for example, are margins in our calendar, right? So margins can just be about anything. As a nation, we celebrate the 4th of July, Christmas, President's Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Memorial Day, Veterans Day. All of these are margins that we create for celebration. And Israel was much the same. And they were initiated at the heart and the mind of God. God said, I want to have some parties with you. And when we have a party, I want you to come together and we're going to call them holy days. And eventually we begin to call them holidays. They were typically in Israel's history synchronized with their agricultural calendar and, or they represented great moments in Israel's history and feasting and parades and camping were all activities that, for example, the Feast of Tabernacles is a great, I mean, they, they dress and wear costumes. It's like Mardi Gras without all the nakedness. It's a big celebration. And God says, do that, and when you do it, I'll come and meet you. I'll join with you in that moment that you create. I'll join that. And so it wasn't the people that created this idea. Actually, God started it. And let me just draw your attention quickly to Exodus chapter number 20 and verse 8. through. It's where God says, hey, I want you to set a day aside for us to get together. So before the Feast of Israel and the Mosaic Covenant was made in Sinai, on the Sinai Peninsula, before that ever happened, God said, hey, I want you to set a a day aside. I'm even going to embed it into the order of creation. Notice what Moses said in verse 8. Here, and I'm dropping into the Ten Commandments for those of you that are not sure. I'm dropping into the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then he gives us explanation. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor your son, nor daughters, nor male servants, or female servants, nor cattle, nor the stranger. In other words, everything comes to a halt. Everything stops. God says, I want one day a week, I want for you to put the brakes on and everything stops because I want you to learn something about my nature and my character and I want you to learn to trust me at a, at a higher and deeper level. 
And then he gives us another word of explanation. For he said, six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, would you say this with me? The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Do you think it's a big deal if one of the big ten is about setting aside a time for you and God? Think about that for a minute. Do you think it's a big deal if one of the big ten is God's heart to have a spot and a, a moment in your calendar for you to have a time with God? Look at your neighbor and say, make time for God. Oh, but I want to get my degree in theology. I, I, I want to get, and, and all that stuff's good. Or I, I want, I've got to be, I've got to be in all these small groups I've got to do. All, I've got to, no, no, I'm not adding anything to the list. All I'm saying today is God's message is make time for God. Make time for God. The message of the Sabbath, listen, the message of the Sabbath is with God. There is a place with him and in him where you cannot work and earn anything. Well, that's hard for us because we want to earn our keep, right? We want to carry our load. We want to carry our weight. But God says, that's good. Six days, do that. Go and make a billion dollars. Feed your family. Take care. Be prosperous. But one day, give to me one. And it's bigger than a day. Look at your neighbor and say, it's bigger than a day. It's just the illustration of a day. What God's saying is, give me some time. And if you'll give me some time where you're not trying to be something and not trying to accomplish something and not trying to earn something, if you'll just come into that time that you create with me, then I'll bring everything we need and the party will be on me. <laughs> yeah. This place is where faith has to prevail, where you are what you are and God is who he is. And he says, I'm going to bless that moment. I'm going to bless that moment. Impartations coming in that moment that we create. Healing and deliverance comes in that moment we create. And you don't have to convince God to do it. You don't have to beg him to do it. You don't have to plead with him to do it. He says, I'm standing at the door. <laughs> and it really ties in theologically because if you read the entire creation story, you'll find out that God calls his work good, but his rest holy. See, it's something about earning your way that's noble and honorable and the appropriate thing to do in the world in which we live. But God says, in the busyness of your calendar, don't forget to give me some space. And if you give me some space, everything that you need for everything else, I'll bring with me when I come. But then God took a step beyond that. This is the first illustration we see of God saying, give some time for me. But it wasn't just time God wanted. God said, I want some space in your life too. It's not just a moment on your calendar. God said, I want a place. So as you see the progression, it began with a Sabbath day. But then it moved toward a place with God with Adam and Eve, God planted a garden and put them in the, uh, this whole world. God said, I'm going to make a garden. And there, in that garden, I'm going to command my blessing. And I'm going to put you in charge of that garden moment. It was ultimately God saying, I want a place. And then as Israel was liberated from Egyptian bondage and then went out into the wilderness. And they had this weird kind of religious relationship with God, right? 
where God's up on the mountain and it's a, it's a place of beautiful pixie dust and rainbows and, and thunderies and lightnings and all that. And then there's the, where the people live down in the junk of life, down in the mess. Anybody ever had that thought with God? God, I know that you're there. I can see your effect. I can see you up in the heights of the mountain. It's so oh, it's beautiful and wonder, but man, that's not the world I live in. It's kind of messy down here, God. And so God calls Moses to the top of the mountain. In Exodus 25, we see the story of that. And God says, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing now. You won't find this in your scripture. God says, I'm tired of this kind of weird relationship where I'm this theological Santa Claus that's way up in the heights of heaven and the people are down there rummaging through life trying to make it the best way they can. You see, something happens when there's that much distance between us and God. We always fill that space with self-worship. We tend to fill that space that is reserved for God with idolatry where we worship ourselves at the altar of our personal preferences. They had a theology of God, but it was built around this separation and isolation kind of mindset that religion will often do. It will paint a picture of a God that exists but lives far away from a distance. God doesn't want that relationship with you. He doesn't want to be far away. And so what did he tell Moses? He said, let them make a sanctuary. He said, Moses, if you'll build me a space down there, I'll come off this mountain and I'll come right down into the middle of their mess. And I'll move my residence from 1,000, 1 billion and, and 10 Glory Avenue And I'll change my address right in the middle of the struggles and heartaches and brokenness and suffering of my people. And I will be within arm's reach of them because it's always been my desire. I don't want just a day. I don't want just a day. I want a place where heaven and earth can intersect. I want a place where the glory of the heights of my presence can intersect the difficult challenges of life. Somebody say for me, make room for God. So he said, build me a house, Uh, make some room, make a place. So the tabernacle was a margin for God to occupy among men. God said, if you make me a place and some space, I'll come off this mountain into the middle of your suffering. The people were so hungry for that. Even though they tended toward idolatry, they were so hungry for God to come off the mountain that in Exodus chapter 36, if you read that story, you'll find out that Moses said, well, we're going to take an offering just to see how bad you want God. And Pastor Frankie, the scripture says they gave with all their heart. I'm not sure I understand what that means, to give with all of my heart. But they gave so much gold and silver and materials that Moses had to stop them. And he said, oh, imagine that service. Uh, Folks, we're just not, we're going to stop this offering halfway. Uh, We're just going to stop right there because you've given way, way too much. And the people demonstrated how badly they wanted the presence of God. Let me ask you today. And I know the answer to this question because of what God's doing here. You want an encounter with God? Make some room. 
Open your heart. You need a financial breakthrough? Give your way. Make some room in your bank account. Make some margin in your bank account for a God moment. I need a better amen than that because that's true right there. <laughs> amen, that right there is true. Did you know when, when we came, honestly, when we came back uh, from that conference where the Lord said, you make it your business to stay empty and I'll make it my business to keep you full, I called a financial meeting with our ministry. And Kath probably remembers this. In those days, she was keeping books. I said, bring the checkbook. She always gets nervous when I call a meeting and ask her to bring the checkbook. <laughs> it's true. At that time, we probably had $2,000 in the bank. This is, our annual budget in those days was less than $30,000. Just, just getting started. And I said, you know, uh, I heard from the Lord and the Lord spoke to me and said uh, at this conference that we're to make room for him and that if I would make it my job to stay empty, he would make it his job to keep us full and I'd never have to ask again. I said, how much is in the account? I think it was about $2,000. She said about $2,000. I said, let's write a check. I'm going to take the next year and I'm gonna do everything in my power to bankrupt Destiny Ministries. And we gave it all away. That year, our budget went from about $30,000 to $86,000. The next year to $186,000. The next year to two hundred and eighty. dollars Are y'all in the room? <laughs> That's been, I think, 17 years ago. We've never had a year that it wasn't going this way since those days. If it works for us, it'll work for you. Create some space in your bank account. Sow a seed. You need a miracle, take a step of faith. Pastor, let us through that powerful moment. In 2 Kings chapter 4, we see this story unfold in the life of a notable woman. And if the, the, the praise team could come just for a moment. That we see it in the life of a notable woman. It was a woman who was seeing and watching the prophet pass her house. Elisha the prophet. And she went to her husband and she said, I see something in this man's life that I'd like to have in our house. And she tells her husband, she says, can we build a space for that? Can we build a room for that? There's something about that prophet when he comes by. There's, a, there's an anointing that he carries in his life. He's a holy. She says he is a holy. We, I perceive that he is a holy man of God. And she said, hey, hon, how would you feel about us making some room in our house for some of that holiness? So she built a room and furnished it. Most of you, many of you know the story. Little she built a space for God. Miracles began to happen. This woman who apparently had been barren or unable to bear a child. After all this effort, the prophet looks to his servant Gehazi and said, what can you do for a woman like that? And he says, well, I looked around the farm and I don't see a son. He said, call the woman. How comfortable was the prophet in the provision of God? I tell you, honestly, I occasionally have been used prophetically in moments, but I don't often prophesy babies. I'll just tell you the truth about it. 
Elisha said, call the woman. When she comes into the room, he said, about this time next year, you're going to embrace a son. And it ticks the woman off. She said, don't you say that again. We don't know what's the story, the backstory, but apparently he touched the deepest longings of her heart in just a moment. I didn't do this to get anything from you. I just wanted what was in you in my house. And here you are, toying with my heart. I opened this place to you and here you are, probing the depths of my soul. Nothing else is said. But in a year, that woman has a baby. After the child begins to grow, stand with me, would you? After that child begins to grow. He has a heat stroke and is about to die. And because she's been there before, she knows that there is a place. Somebody say there is a place. Actually, it's a person. (laughs) But see, that's the progression. It's more from it begins with a day and then it becomes a place. And then ultimately, God, as he leads you into the depths of his relationship with you, it always lands with a person. Mark a day on your calendar. I'll meet you there. Oh, oh wait a minute. God says, I've got an even better idea. Let's create a spot for that. I want to I have this environment. And if you'll create it, I'll make it holy. And, and then, oh, wait a minute. But maybe it will evolve from a moment to a place to a person. So cutting a long story down real short, when that boy gets sick and dies, she knows where to go, and she goes to get that prophet. <laughs> and you know the story. The child is raised from the dead. You see, when we're talking about making margin, so we can understand that God begins with, give me a moment, then let's create a space. God never intended to only sanctify and make holy inanimate objects or moments on the calendar. John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, and he said, and this Word tabernacled among us. And we beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Son, the Father, full of grace and glory. Today there's a person who wants to not just meet you in a spot or set a day aside. He wants to live inside of you. And the Lord knew that the only way to get Sabbath inside of us was for some person to become the Sabbath. And when Jesus came, he became our Sabbath rest. And now by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's dwelling in all of us who love him. What is God doing at celebration? You're seeing the progression. feel the Lord saying to you give me a moment sanctify a place 
everything that I am and everything that I do, everything that's natural for me, though it may feel foreign to you, I'll do. Somebody's knocking at the door. Somebody's ringing the bell. Somebody's knocking at the door. Somebody's ringing the bell. Do me a favor. Open the door. And let them in. That was good. Can we say thank you to Dr. Phil? Thank you so much. We didn't promote him coming because we didn't think we didn't want you to think it was NBC, Dr. Phil. <laughs> Those of you that attend here, you know that we pray in this room every single Tuesday night at seven, and we have child care. If you want to make some margin in your life on Tuesday night with me, I'll see you here. Let me close with this thought. If your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure you know where you'd spend eternity? If you don't know the answer to that question, let's fix that right now. If you feel comfortable with it, just as a sign of surrender, just put your hands in the air. Our church family, I want you to participate with us so that the person next to you doesn't feel awkward. Dear Jesus, come on, let me hear you. Dear Jesus, if you're giving your heart to the Lord right now, you got to say it like you mean it. This is not a private thing. This is a public thing. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me of every sinful thing I've ever done. From this moment forward, I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for the mercy for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for the grace to strengthen me so I don't do it again. If I mess up, I thank you for your grace and your mercy all over again. Say it all over again. I love you, Jesus. Give him a standing ovation. You're dismissed in the name of Jesus. I'll see you soon. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine down upon you. May his countenance be lifted up on you and bring you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you soon. I love you all.